Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Fan Effect, uh, brought to you by Larry H. Miller Megaplex Theaters, the best place to see a movie in Utah. And uh, the place uh, we're talking about a movie today uh, that we saw at a Megaplex, ironically, or maybe not ironically, but uh, I'm Andy Farnsworth, uh, soon to be host of the movie show. And joining me uh, for this episode, my co-host Kellyanne Halverson. Kellyanne, welcome. Hi. And once again, joining us from Nat's Nerds Knowledge. On all over the socials is Natalie Molinay. Thank you for coming back. She survived a crash. She's here with us and uh, here with us again. Thank you. I love being on the show with you guys. And we love having you. All right. So the big movie that we're talking about now is the sequel to the uh, Oscar-winning animated film from 2018. came out in 2018, won the Oscar in 2019. Uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. And now we've got Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. It took five years to get the sequel made, and when you watch it, you'll understand why. Uh, we're going to de- deep dive in spoilers, so we're assuming that all those of you who've joined us for this episode have already seen the movie because we're not going to hold anything back, uh, so we don't want to spoil anything for people who do want to see it still. So save this for after you've seen it. Uh, we're assuming that you already have. So uh, going from that point, seeing it on the screen, you can see why it took five years, but it also was worth the five-year wait because it turned out to be so good. It led the box office. It exceeded its own box office expectations over the first weekend. And it's uh, everybody's. It's the thing everybody's talking about. So amazing. Yeah. If I feel like if you don't know any of the spoilers by now, where have you been? <laughs> <laughs> well, some people are fans that are on a budget, but we've now made it past $5 Tuesday, so a lot of people who didn't have the cash to maybe go see it on opening night have, but are still huge fans and wanted to see it have made their way towards uh, finally seeing it. I know that my my own kids, who I could only take one of them to the screening, and so the others have sort of found their way. My daughter went the first day with some of her friends, but it was like during the day, and then my son went last night, and... He hadn't even seen Into the Spider-Verse, which really surprised oh, me because I don't know where he was at the time when it came out, but he didn't see it. So now he has, and uh, he liked them both, and uh, everybody liked them both. Yeah, I've, I think I've only seen like two negative reviews, and I know one person that said they couldn't give it a review because it wasn't an, a complete movie, which very frustrated me. Okay, then that's fair because guess what? It wasn't a complete movie. I mean, it did. It told a story, and I and I think if we break it down hard, we could find three acts, but it didn't finish the story that we were hoping, and that was one of the things. They're lining up for the big battle. We're going to go. We, we've got the friends oh, back it- from the first movie, and then all of a sudden— to be continued. Oh, but that did was that surprise the, you? It did. I did. I guess a lot of people did know it was a two-parter, but I went into the movie having I really did not read up on it at all. Went and kind of just expecting to be just as you know, if, if just as good as the first movie. So I didn't do a lot of research on it. So when it ke- came out to be continued, I was floored. But <laughs> I, but also they did a great job at setting and hyping us up through those like last you know like five minutes of the movie. Well, as I watched it, I I remember thinking, okay, so we've built up to this. I also remember thinking, this seems like something. It feels like we've been watching it a long time. I didn't check my watch during the movie. I try not to do that unless I'm actually getting bored, and I did not feel bored at all during the movie. Uh, But when they finally got around to this big final, setting up the final confrontation, and, and then finally the friends from the first movie showed back up, I remember thinking to myself, like, 
wow, we've still got a ways to go then because this they, they can't just have a quick two-minute battle and have it be done so they can hit the credits on time. But So then I wasn't surprised in that it was to be continued because I felt like there was a lot more that was needed to happen, and we'd already been watching the movie for a while. But if I had a negative, it's that it's two hours and 15 minutes. It is, it is kind of long, you know. It, Maybe you're thinking an animated movie is going to run 90 minutes and when your brain is like, boy, it feels like this has been going. Because I think the first one was somewhere between yeah, it was 90 definitely and not as long. An, an hour and 45 a minutes. A lot more kid-length friendly movie. Right. But I wouldn't say this is as kid-friendly a movie necessarily, although I know a lot of kids are going to go see it. It is certainly more kid-friendly, the story for this Spider-Verse, than the original comic tale oh, yeah. of, across the, yeah. of the edge of the Spider-Verse, uh, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But um, overall, we, uh, there was nobody at the screening that I was at that disliked it. I know you uh, you and, and Natalie, you and, and Kellyanne were, couldn't wait to talk about it like afterwards. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the problem is, is that there, I think there's only like one moment one thing that happened in the movie I didn't like, only because it's going to affect the next movie in such a, a big, in such a big way, and that being um, when he reveals to his mom that he is Spider-Man, and of course that that build but up. He in that, revealed it to the other universe. I know to mom. the wrong one, but now he has to do that again in the third one. But that moment was already so impactful, even though it wasn't you know the right mom. So I'm curious to see how they're going to like top that in the third movie, or if they can top the intensity of that scene, even though you... Well, maybe he doesn't yeah. tell his parents. I don't know. That That's going to be an interesting thing, only because of the way they set up the story with uh, it, it, emphasizing how important it was that this Miles had his family with him intact as Spider-Man, whereas all the other Spider-People, if you look at it, lost their parents, or they lost... I mean, even, even Gwen Stacy didn't have her mom around. Yeah. They never mentioned what happened to Gwen Stacy's mom. We all knew sort of we all knew sort of uh that you know about Gwen's if if you're a fan of the comics, you already knew about Gwen Stacy's dad. Um and she you know he lost her in the in the Earth six sixteen, which is the official Marvel canon. Uh or actually wait, is six sixteen the six sixteen is the official Marvel Comics canon. I forget what number the Marvel Cinematic Universe is, but Hey, great. And multiverse means we can have these stories forever. That is one nice thing about it. it it's, a, it's a bit of a cheat for writers when you want to try something new. Well, no, I mean, and it goes back to Silver Age, um, I mean, that's Silver kinda... Age DC when the, the old original Flash found out he could travel through time by vibrating at a certain frequency. Yeah. And it's a fun story. It's back to the future type thing where you jump to a different place and say, what if all these events were different but almost the same? So they've been mining it for years, but it really has become helpful. It can get out of control, hence for DC Comics fans, the crisis on Infinite Earths in the 1980s was an attempt to clean up the mess that they'd created by having all these different <laughs> universes and like, who's from, no, this is Superboy Prime and this one's from here and this oh, one's yeah. from there. And it, and it got too much. So they had a, a huge comic storyline that fixed all the alternate universes uh, so that they could just kind of operate from one line. But now that we've gotten into film and television, where the actors who play them will age, and yeah. that's not something you can avoid. There's no way around it. Mm-mm. The characters can, you can I'll always avoid character aging. In fact, as I was reading the uh, Edge of the Spider-Verse comic series, it kind of hinted that even though this is 2014, Spider-Man 1962, so it was like 52 years of Spider-Man continuity, and 
he mentions that one of the characters, Silk, who was apparently a girl bitten by the same radioactive spider that he was. So it would have had to have been, yeah, the exact same one. So it would have had to have happened at about the same time. This is how Marvel will create things like, oh, yeah, no, this person's been around this whole time. You just didn't see him. (laughs) And the explanation for Silk was that she, when it happened, she, like, hid out in a bunker to, like, because she was freaked out and stuff like that. So it's kind of like there was that movie with Alicia Silverstone and uh, Brendan Fraser. There's Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. The Blast from the Past. Blast from the Past, (laughs) yeah, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. So there's a little bit of that with her. So she's Spider-Man's age. They say she was in a bunker for 10 years, and now she's only been out a bit. So even though it's been 50 years of Spider-Man continuity at the time, she only 10 real years roughly have passed, and that's always on a sliding scale. So 10 years ago from now is 2012, and they'll be like, oh, yeah, 10 years ago when she went into the bunker in 2012 uh, or something like that. Uh, they, they've always had sort of a, a way to fudge the timelines, but... That's all just to say having alternate universes means you can use the actors, orcs, cast new people. You can create the universe where John Krasinski is Mr. Fantastic. But not anymore. Right. <laughs> well, no, but you can do that still. I know, but He's a lot not, of... He's not, but you can do that. That's how you can have Patrick Stewart be in the X-Men movies. He can be in Doctor Strange, uh, but if they wanted to, I mean, even as, the, as uh, Patrick Stewart rolls out in the cartoon chair essentially and they played the 1990s cartoon x-men theme when professor x came out yes exactly that was the best part i mean i i still think i I agree with a lot of fans though that the multiverse can really get out of hand if you don't do it right though for sure and i feel like that's one thing marvel's kind of struggling with is where are they trying to take it because you have loki who introduced us basically to the multiverse in the live action yeah in the live action i'm talking about the mcu i should say wasn't that after into the Spider-Verse, which introduced the multiverse. That's true. Because Loki came out during the pandemic and Spider-Verse but came Sony out before the pandemic. But Sony has power over the Spider-Man content. Correct. Where I feel like the Disney the Marvel. Characters. Yeah, the characters. Yeah. For the Disney Marvel, like Loki, and then you have um, a little bit in Ant-Man Quantumania because of the quantum realm. But I feel like Sony's done a great job at um, actually using the, the multiverse in the Spider-Verse. I think they did it right in this movie. It was... Uh, even though like the characters were all different, they were Spider Verses in different universes, and I think that's what the, that's what was so fun is that the Spider Men were not exactly all the same; they were all different. And um, so I'm very intrigued when Loki two comes out. I'm excited to see what if what Disney Marvel decides to do with that, how they're going to use the multiverse, and if there's a way that they're going to introduce the Spider Verse and Disney Marvel multiverse together. I don't but, think they will in Loki. I think oh, I don't know. I think that was, that's happens, like a movie-level right. introduction, not a Loki introduction, but yeah. Well, one thing I love about the multiverse is there can be a universe for anyone out there. It's unlimited imagination, and so someone could think, okay, there is a universe where I am Spider-Man. Right. There's a universe where he is among us, so there can be anything there. And, yeah, you have to be super careful about how you do that, but this movie handles it so well because it's done in such a fun way um, where you have so many different characters, so many different puns, so many different worlds that we love from, you know, Lego to Lego to animation to dinosaurs to Hot Wheels. Like, it, I love the idea of the multiverse. And, yes, it can be confusing and it can be done wrong. But, man, is this a good example of it being done correctly. Yeah. And I actually noticed in this movie a lot is that um, 2099, you know, he's working on making sure that all these universes don't end up in a black hole. 
And right. the whole time I'm thinking, like, this is almost a parallel to Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness because Doctor Strange had the opportunity to get the life that he wanted, and so did Wanda was trying to get the life that she wanted. Doctor Strange had an opportunity to get the life that he wanted but chose not to. And so I feel like there was actually a lot of parallelism to this um, where I'm wondering and into, I mean, into beyond the beyond the Spider-Verse, I'm wondering if there's going to be sort of that where the dark miles that we meet at the end of the movie is going to try to get into our Miles Morales' universe so he can get his dad back. So I'm wondering if that's what's going to be happening within the Spider-Verses. Are they going to try to get into the universes where they were comfortable again? And is that how this is going to escalate into it? That's a good question. Uh, the We're going to talk about why you know, the concept that the movie introduces of every world needing a Spider-Man. That's something we'll talk about in uh, in a later segment. Um, so for now, let's just kind of recap the story really quickly. Um, that'll give us chances to, to mention things that jump out um, that we really liked. Um, we can talk a little bit about the actual movie itself uh, that we couldn't really do in a spoiler-free environment. Um, for those of you who, ha- again... This is your last chance. We've already given away stuff. You, you're you already s- on your own. You've already blown it. So we'll just if, get right into it. If you want it. a spoiler-free one, go look at Annie's What to Watch from last Friday. Yeah, I feel like it's I was pretty good about not uh, not spoiling. All right, so let's listen to a clip from uh, Spider-Man Cross Spider-Verse. Ever? So are you like a cow or a Dalmatian? I am the spot. <laughs> That's not funny. Don't Don't do that. Miles' grades are pretty good. A in AP Physics. That's my little man. And a B in Spanish. What? Ooh, okay. Miles. Are you trying Mira, eso es imposible. I gotta go. All right, bye. He's lying to you. And I think you know it. danger. Miles. Want to get out of here? Oh, when? So wait a minute. There's an elite crew with all the best spider people in it? Who's the new guy? This is unbelievable. This is the lobby. Miguel O'Hara. The whole thing was his idea. What's a guy got to do to join this spider team? You can never be part of this. Don't even get me started on Doctor Strange and the little nerd back on Earth 1999-99. All right, that's the uh, that's apparently the uh, world that uh, Earth nineteen nine ninety nine. Although there's some, I, I was reading somewhere that they had already established that the Marvel Cinematic Universe was a different number before that line dropped in. Uh, uh, in this. Wow! Yeah. So I don't remember what the other number was, but they had said it somewhere that the Cinematic Universe was Earth something, and then in this one they named it nineteen nine ninety nine. Okay, so we got a lot through uh, through the clip. One of the biggest things is the movie starts with uh, Gwen Stacy, knowing a little bit about Spider-Gwen and hers, what, where she is in life, how she's reacted since she met Miles and had traveled through. We get a little bit about her story. We find out, again, if you didn't know the story of Spider-Gwen, which before I saw this one, I actually didn't know what her told or- whole origin story was, but she got bit by the spider, and then Peter, who it should have, quote-unquote, should have been, um, felt you know less than and wanted to be cool like Gwen, so he uh, develops a lizard serum, and Peter becomes the lizard in her world, mm-hmm. and uh, she ends up uh, he ends up dying as a result of that, and that becomes her you know traumatic canon moment that we'll yeah. talk about in another segment. Um, we also find out that her dad's willing to bring her in, mm-hmm. even though she he finds out that his daughter's the one they've been seeking 
Um, the police, of course, think spy- this is very parallel to the original Spider-Man story where just about anything that could go wrong, Spider-Man gets blamed for. He gets blamed for Captain Stacy's death. He gets blamed for Gwen Stacy's death. He gets blamed for, uh, you know, anybody looking cross-eyed at J. Jonah Jameson. <laughs> oh, that is in every multiverse. But oh, yeah, and so J.K. Simmons is the voice of Jameson in any universe that exists, it's which is good. the only canon complete across everything. We have to Parker. have him. What happens it. if you kill him off, though? <gasps> Maybe. Well, there'll be you a black don't. hole. I'm just saying... He's Probably. canon in every universe. That was called, He's the only like well, not every same universe because there was a Jameson back in the '96 Spider-Man cartoon that, that wasn't J.K. Simmons. So, or was it? That, and that's that Spider-Man the was in, and then this. everything restarts. That's right, he wasn't it. <laughs> so we finally see Gwen's. Uh, she, we we see Miles as uh, as we heard in the clip. He's been struggling a little bit. Um, he, he's finally getting comfortable being Spider-Man, but he's not very comfortable at juggling both parts of his life. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a genius, but he keeps missing class. Um, which is the fun understory, the B story in this movie, which I think helps progress it and helps create the relationships that he needs. Well, sure. I mean, he, he was strong with his parents in the first movie. So now they're going to kind of upend it a little bit by them not understanding. He can't tell them. That is one of the curses of Spider-Man is that, uh, as Tobey Maguire said, the ones who I love most are the ones who are in the most danger. And so I have to keep it from him. Um, that's the responsibility that comes with the power part is trying to protect the people that you love without. It never seems to work exactly right, but eh, it's an, it's a noble thought. Yep. Um, so we see Gwen get to joining. She gets to join the, 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 the spider verse and travel. Uh, this is at the moment where her dad's going to arrest her. So she leaves. We don't get a lot of info, but then she shows up, says hi to Miles. Hey, hey. you know, let's hang out. They hang out. But it turns out she's not just there to see Miles. She's there to keep an eye on the spot who uh, is it's a comical fight with a, a, a stupid looking villain who can't do anything <laughs> right. And it's very funny. And Spider-Man struggles to fight him. But then, he of course, he kicked his own butt. He kicked his own butt <laughs> to defeat him. And you're just kind of like, oh, that's a fun, you know. Secondary bad guy. He's beat him up. We, this week's car- This yeah. week's villain. The, the villain, villain of the I, week. The, yeah. villain of the, the week. villain of the week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They got a little bit uh, knowing winks to the camera, but that's a. Uh, I think that's a trait of Phil Lord and Chris Miller who make the movie. That they, they did it with the Lego Movie. They mm-hmm. tried to do it with uh, Solo, a Star Wars story, and they got fired for it. <laughs> but uh, uh, that's their that's their comedic mo. They did it in Community when they were uh, doing episodes of Community. Great stuff. Um, we find out that she's actually there spying on the spot because uh, his latest thing, uh, it turns out he cannot just make holes in the same dimension. He can make holes into other dimensions. We don't know why. We don't know exactly what Gwen's doing. She starts to have a little bit too much personal time with with, uh, with Miles. <laughs> yeah, and then things don't go well. And, uh, you know... I do have to say, Miles following her with invisibility. They, I, I didn't. I didn't you. feel I like just... they used the power consistently in the movie because if he can follow her all the way to the spot, if he can get away later, why couldn't he turn invisible when the whole Spider Universe was chasing him? Mm. I'm just saying. Well, I, remember he had to get them all away. He's doing it on purpose. Well, yeah, it was I, part of his plan. I was more worried about Gwen's spider sense. Like, I think she would be able to sense him there. So. Or maybe it doesn't work when he's invisible. Or maybe the hormones are canceling it all out. <laughs> there was a lot of teenage they hormones. They are teenagers, let's just not forget. 
So Miles joins him, finds out that uh, I'm going to skip over a lot of plot here. Essentially, Miles isn't supposed to have the spider powers. Miles is actually throwing everything off. He's an anomaly. He's an anomaly. (laughs) He got the spider bite from a different universe. The spider wasn't supposed to be in this universe, in in, in Miles' universe in the first place. Spider-Man, blonde Spider-Man voiced by Chris Pine, wasn't supposed to die fighting the Kingpin, which was a pretty traumatic start to the last movie, if you recall. Oh, yeah. I just watched it last night, and I was like, yeah, this is is pretty... My kids were also like, there's Spider-Man! Oh, oh, what's happening to Spider-Man? I'm he's like, asleep. He went to a farm where he can run in the field all day long. <laughs> At least they don't show, like, Kingpin punch him. They're just like, right. they just don't show it. But, yeah. But, yeah. So, we then we start to see, this is where I thought the storytelling was really next level, was it turns out that a lot of things that might have felt like throwaway moments, like, oh, the spider's here from the other universe. We, we've got to get Miles the power anyway, because Spider-Man's already been around forever, so that spider can't bite him. This spider can... And it's, so it's a plot device. Spider-42 bites him, and now he's got Spider-Man powers along with Peter Parker. But in this movie, you find out that there's continuing repercussions even from that little event. Yeah. Which is, again, this is, uh, you know, uh, this is why I've always said one of the best storytellers who can make, can take what seems like a throwaway line or moment and have it have impact later on. J.K. Rowling in the Harry Potter series. Like, just oh, yeah. amazing oh, yeah. how she could take things that you completely forgot about and then pull them back and then not just pull them back, but have them, like, end up impacting the story to keep it moving along. And how much it rewards audiences that are paying attention. Oh, yeah. Sure. Going back and watching Into the Spider-Verse last night, like, you don't think about the spider when it's dropping. It's glitching as it's going down to bite Miles. And the whole time, like, Oh my gosh, like why didn't we catch that? That because, that's not supposed to be in it. Right. So glitches mean they're out of place in a universe. Yep. We knew it, mm-hmm. but we didn't necessarily pay attention to it the first time through. So Miles now um, is the anomaly, and he ends up going on a, a venture into the Indian Spider Man's world. So funny. Peter Prada, or Pit, what was his name? I have it written down here. I tried to look it up on IMDb. Pedro Prova. No, you, you actually had it in the list on the rundown that you made, Kellyanne. It was, uh, where'd it go? I probably Pavada, butchered it. I tried to pronounce um, it. Pavter. Pavitar Prabhakar. Oh, my gosh. I just killed that so bad. <laughs> that, was the, that was the best you're going to get. <laughs> anyway, th- his story was interesting because in his universe, it was the exact opposite of how things go for Peter Parker. Mm-hmm. Everything was working for him. His parents were alive. He had the girl. He was so good and having so much fun at he, being Spider-Man. He even loved him as Spider-Man. He even yeah. says, like, it's so easy popular. being Spider-Man. Right. That's the exact opposite of what it's like for what Spider-Man traditionally is. And then uh, in their in their quest to find the spot at the Alchemax that's in every universe, um, it doesn't go well. And Alchemax building falls down and is about to crush the whole lower city. So the Spider-People have to go and, and save uh, innocent bystanders. However, during the process, Gwen's wristband goes off and it says, can an event incoming? Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. And we've, you know, at this point, Spot, Mr. Spot has um, shown that he's not just going to be a pushover and you start to notice some real sinister sound yeah, he behind him. He doesn't care that he's hurting all these people. He's like, I'm your arch nemesis. Oh, okay, fine, you're my arch nemesis. Eh, too late for that. Now like, you gotta... But since this is a canon event, was a spot supposed to show up then? Uh, it's a good question. Um, I have a lot of questions we can talk about later. That's no, one of them. that's a great question. Mm-hmm. Um, 
There's a lot when you play with time travel. It's almost impossible to do a time travel story without creating some kind of loophole or violation of your own rules. Um, I feel like we need Christopher Lloyd and Michael J. Fox. No, I don't even think that. <laughs> I don't Maybe even think the they could untangle this one. Spider-Man. Marty Spider-Man. But they save um, mm-hmm. Indian Spider-Man India from his his dad from his death and his, from his, girl, girlfriend's, his girlfriend's dad. dad. The, oh, the captain's. His, yeah. the captain's his girlfriend's captain's right. Thing. Essentially, Gwen Stacy's dad. You're okay, Essentially girl, Gwen like, Stacy's I don't know. Dad. Girl, I don't know. Right. Uh, but he saves the life, and that's not supposed to happen. Well, that makes the glitches and the spots spots getting bigger, and uh, I, I think we'll find out more about that team that was sent to to fix the hole or fix the, the, the glitch. Yeah. And I, I'm guessing we'll find out more about that and Beyond the Spider-Verse because we've got at least two hours of story to tell. I was, I was trying to figure out, like, how do they stop that? Like, do they it's have the question. technology to stop well, it? Or maybe I'm just overthinking it and just let it be We don't know how the whole time glitch stuff started in the first place. For some background information that this may be relevant here, I don't know where it's more relevant later on. In the comic book series, the whole Spider-Verse wasn't created in the way that it's described here with Miguel O'Hara in charge of it and doing things. It it was actually, um, it was an event that was led by what's called the Superior Spider-Man, if you've ever, I don't know how familiar you are with that, but there was a time in comics history where Dr. Octopus managed to switch brains with Peter Parker right before Doc Ock's body died. Oh, wow. So he looks like Peter. He has all of Peter's memories, and he, but he's still Dr. Octopus, and so he calls himself the superior Spider-Man. The problem is is that he's also stuck with Parker's sense of responsibility, which is something he's never had before. So there was this whole stretch where nobody knew that Spider-Man was actually Dr. Octopus. And Interesting. It, it sounds a lot weirder when you describe out loud like this when you summarize it then when you're reading the comics and you're getting little bits of the story at a time but what happens at one point the superior spider-man gets shifted to the future for a few minutes and to 2099 exactly i think and what he finds out is that there's these group of beings called the inheritors that feed on spider-man from different universes it was a it was a guy that was introduced back in 2002 a, a character called morlin back uh in the amazing spider-man run in the early 2000s and Spider-Man actually transformed into a spider for me. It was like a whole weird thing. He gets in a cocoon. It got all weird. But there was this guy named Morlin who fed on animal totems, characters, superheroes that had some kind of animal. So like Batman is like a, would be a bat totem. Spider-Man is the spider totem, you know, depending on whatever animal you choose to wear. Right, right. And so Porcupine Man. And, but, (laughs) but in this, he's really tough because like he's, He's sort of engineered to be the power equal of Spider-Man. But this is also where you start to find out that, like, it wasn't just a random radioactive spider. There's, like, cosmic stuff at work. It it gets a little big picture. I admit, I thought that the Moreland storyline was kind of—I didn't like it a whole lot when I watched it. He, Spider-Man barely beats him. He mm-hmm. barely does. And almost looks like he's killed first. Oh, jeez. Yeah, so— but that started this whole thing that they revisit with the Spider-Verse. So the Spider-Verse in the comics was actually all the Spider-People getting killed all across the dimensions. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's totally and different so, and terrifying. So Superior Spider-Man starts pulling certain ones before they can figure out, you know, before the Inheritors. And there's like four or five. Moreland has like four or five siblings and a dad, as it turns out. And um, they... They they kill Spider Man from Spider Man and his amazing friends, which was just what? 
fake and oh, Iceman and Firestar. Oh. oh yeah, no. In fact, they even say like there's like these little sort of aside jokes like, "Wow, this spider just was like there was like an innocent energy to him." Like oh, <laughs> that breaks my heart. Yeah. They even killed Spider Cat. Oh. They killed Spider Cat. They but they killed like a whole bunch. They killed ones that you had seen if you were a fan of Spider Man over the years. There was continuity things that you're like, oh, I remember that story. Or there was a bunch of what ifs that had Spider Man in it, and so, but they they killed all these spiders. Like, and so this was the point. They were there to destroy, uh, kill every Spider Man from every universe because he wanted to be the only superior. Spider-Man? No, that's what they fed on. No, no, they, oh, Doctor that's, that's Octopus right. was trying to prevent it. Spider, yeah. People, yeah. Mm-hmm. So Doctor Octopus starts putting together an army of Spider people oh. to to defeat him. Mm-hmm. And the key to it is the Peter Parker from the comic series, because by this point, he's back in control of his own body and Dr. Octopus is out of it. So this is how with this time travel, they can have both of them at the same time. A lot, a lot of that's a lot to download. But the, the point is, is that they existed. The, the Spider-Verse existence of bringing everyone together was originally to prevent them all being killed. The Spider-Verse in this, at least from what they revealed in the two movies, has been more of a thing of to keep reality from falling apart mm-hmm. because of you know, Miles people being, screwed it up. Well, right, but, but people being in the wrong place. It was the kingpin who brought the spider in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. But people being in the wrong universe at the wrong time, which mm-hmm. then became a real thing uh, and masterfully done mm-hmm. when you thought Miles made it home from Spider Central. <gasps> I thought something was wrong when she... When she said something like, uh, "What'd you do to your hair?" Oh, mine was. No, it wasn't the uh, mine was. Hair, but... Did you dress up like that? Is that for Comic Con? Because in the first movie, uh, Miles doesn't know what Comic Con is, and as soon as oh, that happened, that I was like, catch. "I was like, oh, this is not the right universe." It, no, I it was something more like she's like, "I gotta pick up a shift," but there was just something about it. You could tell his dad was missing, or something was off. Yeah, it was a lot darker world too. It was a lot darker, and then well, you look around, the photos on the wall were, were different and everything. But the way yeah. they cut it, so it looks like Gwen is right outside his window when oh, he's beautiful. having this conversation. Yeah, wasn't that was massively that was, done? That was great, a great feint. It's it's it's. You see a lot of movies. It's hard for them to trick you like that, but they did a good job that time. They really did. Of course, now I'm going to be way on guard for the next movie <laughs> for anything <laughs> oh like that. Oh my gosh, <laughs> this next movie. Uh, so, what we find out is. Uh, Miles learns about what the canon events are. He finds out that he's kind of an anomaly, and so he 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 brings up the great question to the other spider people, like, hey, if you knew the so-and-so was going to die, your Uncle Ben, your Mary Jane, your Gwen, and you could go back and fix it, you, you're telling me you wouldn't do that? What's interesting is all of them, I bet... Yeah, see, we'll, we'll go into this a little later. <laughs> okay, I, I because this is like, really we, going into the subject really of the canon events. This later. is the canon events. We will discuss this later. We'll get back to this. But let's want to explain real quick what canon event remind people. Oh, no, people have seen this, so we're fine. Yes. Canon events are the moments that happen that shape who you are. Yes. We'll talk about that in yep. more greater it's detail. consistent throughout the different segment. Spider-Verse. Yes. But anyway, to finish off the story, uh, Miles goes back to what he thinks is his reality. The rest of the spider group go to the reality where Miles is supposedly supposed to be, and we find out that uh, they went to the wrong one. Miles is in a universe. He's in the 42 universe that the spider came from Mm -hmm. because that's what made him a Spider-Man. His DNA has 42 Exactly. Mm -hmm. And he finds out that without a Spider-Man in that world, the Prowler and other crime— The Sinister Six, they mention them in that scene. They— Villains run amok because there was no Spider-Man to stop them. 
Well, like, and when he goes onto the roof and there's fire around him and sirens and it's just this kind of like a crazy messed up world, like, you know, wow, how much does the I was looking for Spider-Man. Biff's pleasure I know, palace. I was, I was like, like it's a Back to the Future, Back to the Future 2 reference, as I thought too when I saw that. There was enough Sony pre- placement. It would have been a fun Easter egg, although it's universal that does uh, <laughs> that does um, Back, to the, Back to the Future. So darn it. But a, a Biff's Pleasure Palace would have been hilarious. Or even just like somebody that looked like one of Biff's buddies walking around in the background with no dialogue, just kind of a visual Easter egg. Hey, who knows? Maybe there is one. We'll have to look for that. <laughs> When I watch it a There's second time. There's a lot time. going on in the animation. There yeah. might be. There's a lot of things you need to look out for. A lot of okay. Easter eggs. So fun. So well, fun. Well, Miles is captured. Um, we find out that uh, uh, he, in this universe, he becomes the Prowler. Yep. Uh, it's not his Uncle Hobie. Oh, wow. And that's Uncle because Aaron. he had... Uncle Aaron, sorry. Uncle Hobie. Hobie. Hobie was in a different one. <laughs> oh, Hobie's the... That's the, the spider punk. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, Hobie Brown's the spider punk. <laughs> But at any rate, Uncle Aaron doesn't become the Prowler. Miles becomes the Prowler, and uh, he gets captured. And then Gwen rounds up the spider people to go find him, and we get it to be continued. And I remember Uh, thinking, dang it. Oh, my gosh. So mad. I think I The worst part is is that they had had a March 2024 calendar release date. Oh, they change it now? It is now just 2024. No. Look. I'm going to be honest. I thought, I, I as soon as I heard that they had it set for March 24, I thought, well, they must have pre-done a lot of work. But then I read in our interview where Haley Steinfeld said she hasn't recorded any dialogue for yeah. Beyond the Spider-Verse. Oh, wow. They were on the red carpet, and they said that there was still a lot of animation so, they were working on. But how they got to do the dialogue before they do the animation is my understanding. That's usually how I, I guess done, anywhere done, where there's right? dialogue. Action doesn't have to necessarily, but... Yeah, my understanding is that you do the dialogue first because that you animate kind of based to how the actor performed it vocally. Hmm. I know that's uh, how they did it for uh, Aladdin and for some of the Disney ones. But Oh, I can see Robin Williams doing the genie. As oh, yeah, you that. can watch video <laughs> of him, oh, yeah. yeah. And, you know, they take some of his motions to animate mm-hmm. the genie, too. So. Fascinating. So we get a to-be-continued. We've got a, an army of spider people going to hopefully save Miles. And oh. Well, not an army, like ten of them. What? That's an army. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You have some of the originals in there. That's double what the original. Yeah, we, we saw, saw it. We got to see Noir. Spider-Man Noir. We got mm-hmm. to see Spider-Ham. Oh, I'm so, I'm so glad Noir is back. Penny Parker, Penny. the spy SP slash slash der. Spider-Pig. Spider-Ham. Spider-Ham. Sorry, I like seeing Spider-Pig. It's a lot more fun. That's the Simpsons. Spider-Pig. It's Spider-Ham. I hope that they do it. I hope they can get Nick Cage for Beyond the Spider-Verse. Oh, I bet they will. Why would they bring him back if they couldn't get the voice? You have to have him back. It's Nick Cage. Like, come on. All right. So that's the story recap. Tell me what you liked best about the movie now that you don't have anything that can prevent you from talking about it. You can go it. first, Kellyanne. Everything. All right. Kellyanne liked everything. Like, literally. Usually I have to sit down and, and write out kind of my, my little mini review, the hand to the studio people after a press screening. And I loved it so much I, like, couldn't put it into words. I just went out there and, like, just word vomited how much I loved it. <laughs> the only thing I have against it is I wanted it more right then and there. Like, um, okay. music was wonderful, animation was beautiful, emotions were great. I love um, how much more we get of Gwen Stacy in it. You get more of her character and stuff. And as a woman, I really loved that that we got more of her a female perspective within there. I love the family elements. I love the school. I love that there was Legos thrown in there and a spider dinosaur. Like. I, and I know I'm a big nerd and a big fan of, of superheroes and, and storytelling, but I literally, I really don't have anything to complain about. I just, I love the whole thing, including the music. 
I loved it. Give me more right now, please. Wow. All right. So, like, and all I'm, of the stars for you is what you gave it? All of the stars? All the stars. <laughs> like, I, and I'm never like that. I always find something to, like, pick apart. Maybe if I knew more of the Spider-Verse like you do, I might find little things to be nitpicky about. But I just completely enjoyed the ride and loved the storytelling. For me, it was just a little bit long only because it was long and then they still left you with it to be continued. Mm-hmm. Like. I, I feel like maybe there's somewhere in there, and, and maybe once the whole story's told, I'll change my tune and that everything yeah. that was in two that, you know, I would think right now, oh, we probably could have clipped that or not had that in there. Uh, maybe I'll disagree when it turns out whatever key story point they left in plays a role later. But that was, for me, I, I, the only thing that was close to a complaint was it was a little long and probably too much for like a six or five-year-old to watch in the theater. Yeah. But that's it. And it's not even a complaint. That's just like it's rated PG-13. So you know, it, it kind of says it. I thought it was PG-13. It's PG-13. But it's PG. I thought it was PG-13. Some language animated action violence thematic elements. PG. All right. Well, it certainly won't be as cool to a five-year-old. Maybe it would. I don't know. They didn't have anything like this when I was five. So there's nothing to compare it to. I had the 67 <laughs> Spider-Man series where he'd swing into the screen. By the way, that guy made an appearance in. He did. Yes, he did. It was the same shot that they used in the cartoon so over and over again. I don't know if it was the same voice actor, if they just took a clip from the show. But that was that was pretty funny when they were in Spider-Central. All right, Natalie, what about you? Oh, man. So I know we talked a little bit at the beginning. The one scene I did not, I liked, but just kind of felt it was going to it kind of it might take away from something in the third movie um but overall like i said i love how they use the spider-verse aka the, the multiverse all the spider-men were so unique and likable and it was so fun to like watch the background of that whole segment and trying to pick out all the spider-men that you recognize or know or trying to remember um i also like that the spot is even very likable mm-hmm. like from the beginning he's so funny and i love it when the villains are actually a little bit likable and i love spider-man villains they're they're regular people who wanted to go above and beyond but made a bad choice and kind of have to live with that choice and that's what the spot is and um he it also was very entertaining to watch him fight miles that whole that whole scene was just so funny um i thought i loved the funny moments there's i love the use of the comic book dialogue boxes throughout the throughout it there's a lot more in this one than there was in the first one but I also love the very quiet moments, the moments where Miles gets to interact with Gwen and they get to have their conversations about, you know, sharing life experiences. And I also loved uh, Miles being able to talk to his mom and his dad and having those moments, too. And I love Miles's parents that they are not uh, stupid. They're mm-hmm. obviously aware that something is going on and they're just trying their best as parents to help him navigate his adolescence. Uh, I just really appreciate how they portrayed the parents in this movie. Um, I also, I'll, I'll say I did like the, I, oh, Jessica Drew. I loved pregnant Jessica Drew. Mm -hmm. I feel like there's just not a lot. You weren't judging her for going into battle pregnant. I mean, (laughs) no, not at all. Spider-Man strength. We're good. No, I just, I love having that parent representation in it, that there's parents that are superheroes because you just don't get, don't get to see that a lot. And having a pregnant superhero was a lot of fun. And I love Peter B. Parker having toting around Mayday. Mm-hmm. That was anxiety. It was like, you're taking your baby on an adventure. <laughs> that, yeah, that was anxiety for me. But overall, and you know, 2099 also, his motive is very, um, to stop anything else bad from happening, was very, I think, on point where you can see his side, where you know he's trying to save multiple people versus just one person. 
And I I also thought about that. That might be a question we ask later. Is if if you were um, if you if you knew in the movie that the hero needed to save his dad, would you be on twenty ninety nine side saving multiple people versus just the one person? We are going to talk about that. Yeah, but overall, I besides the one scene where you know we kind of get that deep moment where you know Miles needs to tell his parents that he's Spider Man. And how they'll do that in the third one, when he tells his real parents that he's Spider-Man, mm-hmm. how they're going to do that. I thought it was a great, well-paced movie with a lot of fun. It hyped up the whole time. I only looked at my watch at the end because I had a babysitter. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, yeah, it was a great movie. I, I think this is the Marvel movie that I've wanted since No Way Home, since Endgame. Something that gets me excited for another movie. I love that you mentioned that the parents aren't seen as kind of being out of the loop or not involved in their son's life because you see how much he's also involved in their life and the impact of their parenting has actually made in his life. Like, that's what he, his whole thing is, like, he has a place where he belongs because of his family, even if he doesn't feel like he has a place um, as Spider-Man because he wasn't supposed to be, uh, according to, to this version of it. His parents giving him that confidence, that comfort, makes Miles different than anybody Else. And what is often mis- missing from a superhero film is usually they are orphaned or something like that. So I love that we had that parental involvement and a give and take, too, between the two of them. It wasn't just parents are right, kids are wrong, but let's work on this together to be a functioning family. They yeah. haven't had parents are right, kids are wrong in anything in pop culture for, <laughs> no, like, decades now. That was so good. Like, the scene with Miles's mom and she's saying, wherever you go, like— Save like keep this little boy safe if and you know if they're not going to cheer you on but you know cheer on this little boy that's inside of you not knowing that she's giving him actual advice for somewhere that he's gonna go and I thought that was very well played also in the movie that as a parent you don't know what you're saying to your kids what it's gonna make an impact on but there just may be a moment in their life that they need that advice that you gave them mm-hmm. that's the truth now for me uh, I really loved how they respected the characters um, there's a way uh, and I thought. I thought really only DC with uh, the Teen Titans and maybe Lego Batman were really good at, uh, and even then occasionally those skirted a little too far into parody. Funny, yes, but I like the balance that this struck between poking at kind of some of the silliness. Uh, uh, Because, I mean, if you really take your logical side, a lot of superhero stuff is kind of silly. That, like I said, when I was trying to describe to you what happened in the story with the guy and Spider-Man turning into an actual spider for a minute and then he gets like a cocoon, but then he <laughs> yeah. comes out of the cocoon. Like, just trying to describe it that way, it sounds ridiculous on its face. Mm-hmm. When you're reading it, it feels a lot less ridiculous, although sometimes even then it feels ridiculous. The whole Ben Riley clone thing we'll get to, but... Oh, so um, But, but... There's an inherent ridiculousness that we just ignore in order to enjoy. And so I thought this did a great job, and and Lord and Miller are really good at this, of taking a chance to, like, poke fun but not mock the the concept. Like, there is some silliness. It's like the difference between culture and, you know, some things in culture are just because this is what we do. We cut the corner off the the ham before we cook it because great-grandma did it 50 years ago. Yeah. And we just do it. And nobody's ever questioned why they just do it. Oh, and then they found out, oh, well, guy, grandma did it because her pan was too small. And we've just been doing it because that's what grandma did. We have a pan that's big enough. But there's there's aspects of that that are okay to be made fun of. But, you know, 
having ham at the thing might have a different. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, there's a difference yeah. between mocking and parodying. Yeah. And it's a fine line sometimes. And I thought they walked it really well. Uh, I liked that that just the so many Easter eggs like. There's oh so gosh. many that I'd have to sit there with pause and try to like look at each one of them once it's when on disc. When we can disc, get to finally. that, yeah, I can't wait to to like sit down when people can like frame by frame say this is this, right? This is that. It's and very they will. I won't do that, but they, they're, they're, there'll be stuff out there. Oh, but I'll watch someone else do it. Oh, I know. I'm, I believe <laughs> that's that. what that's what influencers are for. Well, that's uh, even me and Natalie when we left the theater. We're like, Andy, you know more about about this universe than me. Tell us about this character, this character, this one. Is there really a dinosaur spider man? That's one I hadn't seen before, but I'm obviously there is. I didn't know about cat spider man. You know, again, on the surface, it's ridiculous. Even if a cat got bit by a radioactive spider, why would it make a Spider Man costume out of like red and blue? You know what I'm saying? Other yeah. than it's become a thing that's spread across the universe. So. There's some inherent ridiculousness that we have to ignore, and we do, and it was fun, and it was funny to see a spider cat. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. don't think about it too hard. Just kind of laugh it's, at it as the spider cat. But they still, it's fun. They, made, they made all those, the variants of Spider-Man fun because they all were still, like, choppy and ha- were snarky, and mm-hmm. that's that was a lot of fun to watch, the banter. The, the oh animation, gosh, yes. of course, uh, multiple styles of animation happening on the screen at the same moment. A few that humans in there as yeah. well. Yep, uh, that mm-hmm. was one of the big cameo surprises was Donald Glover's yes. character from oh uh, Spider-Man gosh, Homecoming. Yes. That was the one that got the loudest reaction in the theater where we were watching it <laughs> oh, yeah. was seeing him live in there. Uh, and we saw f- clips of Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man and Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Um with Toby Maguire and Andrew, Andrew Garfield. We did not see Tom Holland, but he was referred to, as you heard in the mm-hmm. clip we played earlier, uh, as the little nerd on <laughs> Earth 1999. I have so many thoughts about that. And Doctor Strange. Are you just sitting here how they're going to intertwine together? We could make this podcast five hours. Let's, oh, no, for sure. So We're thoughts. already at the 45-minute mark. <laughs> we haven't even taken a break We're in the yet. First <laughs> so let's do that. Let's take a break right now because we do have some deeper discussions to have uh, about... There we go. We do have some deeper discussions to have about uh, Into the Spider-Verse after we take the break. Uh, One of the questions I want to ask is why you think these movies have been resonated so much. I think we've touched on it a little bit already, but why it resonated with audiences and and, uh, oh, so many more questions. But that's the one we'll come back with here (laughs) on Fan Effect. Fan Effect, we're talking Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, and we've talked about the plot of the movie and what we liked most about it, but we wanted to start to dig a little bit deeper now. This is one of the fun things about doing deep dives is a chance to consider questions and uh, have some fun discussions uh, about uh, about more than just what happened up on the screen. So let's start with, with, with this. The question that I have is why do you two think that these two Spider-Verse movies have resonated with audiences so much. I mean, the first one won an Oscar, but it also really built word of mouth as people saw it and then told somebody else who then saw it and told somebody else. I remember seeing it and I'd already heard it was like the greatest movie ever. So when I saw it, I was like, yeah, it was pretty good, but it had gotten built up too much for me. Um, but I didn't, I mean, I, I enjoyed the heck out of it. Um, however, this one, I went in with a little bit more expectation However, I didn't see, uh, I, I was a little surprised at how much I enjoyed it. So first question then, Natalie, for is to you. So why do you think these two movies have resonated with audiences so much? And then 
maybe kind of a secondary thing. Why do you, who's not, who wasn't necessarily a huge Spider-Man fan or Spider fan, eh, <laughs> why did you connect to it so much? I mean, you talked about how much you loved it, but what, yeah. what was it about it? I mean, ugh, this is a question I need to think about for a minute, so I might ramble a little bit. But I think these two movies, I, it's fun because they're, first of all, animated. The animation style is a lot of fun. Um, Miles is a very different version of Spider-Man that we've seen before. I think um, the first movie sets it up well that the Spider-Man that we know goes away. And then we get this kid who, um, which I'll, is part of the second question, is uh, Spider-Man is someone who is the one hero that, you know, is navigating his real life while trying to be a superhero. And that's one thing I've really liked about Spider-Man. I'm watching, I've, I mean, I've really only watched, considering myself a Spider-Man fan, I've only ever seen like some of the TV series that came out in the 90s, but really got, really understood Spider-Man when I saw Tobey Maguire's movies and Andrew Garfield's movies and that now Tom Holland. So those, that's kind of my level of Spider-Man. But I think that these two movies, because this was a new version of Spider-Man, it wasn't the one that we were used to. You could go in it with uh, with a basic knowledge of just knowing Spider-Man's origin story. Everyone knows it. Gets bit by a spider. Uncle Ben dies. And then with great power comes great responsibility. I think that's just something we are all just used to. So this movie didn't have to do that again. It was, again, a new take on Spider-Man. And um, because it's animated, I think a lot of kids can resonate with it a lot more. It's quippy. It's funny. And um, again, and because his relationship with his parents is really there, a lot of parents can relate to that, too. And yeah, we'll talk about that when we get to the canon events, because I I do want to touch on that and how my perspective, my perspective has changed over the years of and then, yeah, and I think it helps how out. I would have answered yeah. the question that Miles asked uh, of all the other spider people. I, I think I would have answered that question differently <laughs> as a 15 year old than I for sure would as a 47 year old. Yeah. But um, OK, sorry. But keep and going. then other, and I think it helps having a black Spider-Man because there's a whole generation of new audiences that see Miles and it's like there's someone that looks like me. And so it resonates with people who are just have been Spider-Man fans their whole lives and have a lot of fun seeing Spider-Man again, but now you have a new generation that can see themselves in Spider-Man. So I think it just hits every every audience. Like, this is a Spider-Man movie I feel like I can watch with my kids. They've seen the Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield versions, but they don't understand, like, the depth of the story. They just know that that's Spider-Man. Do you think they'll understand the depth of this story? Probably not. They just know that it's Miles Morales and, you know, but they're still, like, it's funnier for them because it's a cartoon. In their sure. eyes, it's a cartoon. And cartoons, doing it as a cartoon form, it allows you to do things that would be a lot more difficult and even expensive to do. Oh, the spot would be really awkward, live action. Yeah, it would be cool, though, if they pulled it off right. <laughs> It'd be so weird. That's the point, is <laughs> if they can do it right. And that's what held back com- comic book movies for so long until the, you know, the late 2000s was that just the attempts to try to create it were too difficult to do with practical effects. It, it looks so it just corny. Looks, it does. Um, Superman was an exception, but you know, mostly all he had to do was fly. I remember thinking when I saw the Matrix Revolution, 
when uh, Agent Smith fights Neo, the big final battle where there's like a thousand Smiths all oh, yeah. standing there watching the two of them go at it. Not like in the second one where he fights all the Agent Smiths at the same time. Yeah. But they like have what I always wished would have been the fight between Superman and General Zod in Superman 2 back in the early 80s. Mm-hmm. They, it was a goofy looking thing where Superman throws the thing off its chest and they're shooting finger beams and it was really dumb. And they had a fight in Metropolis I mean, they were limited by what they could do. It was cool for the time, but when I saw what Agent Smith and Neo were going at it, flying at each other at super speed, you know, it actually looks dynamic instead of, like, people hanging on wires, I thought, oh, that's what it should have been. And now we've reached that point where in Avengers Age of Ultron, the scene where they're they're fighting all the Ultrons around the, the reactor... And it's like every Avengers on screen at the same time with all these Ultrons, and they're all doing their own thing as it's as it's uh, hooking like the the camera pans across the big fight. I remember writing a text to my brother like that's the first time I've ever feel like I've seen a comic book page alive on screen was when all that stuff was happening. Not just you know a couple of heroes fighting, but with all of them doing something at the same time. It was really really cool. And now we've reached a point where. We can do a lot of that stuff with live action, but we've also maybe reached a point where there's a little bit of saturation and we need another jump, whether it's the de-aging technology where it looks mostly right but not quite right. It looks like with Indiana Jones, the new movie, Harrison Ford. They can do that. Let's hope so, but we've only seen clips. We haven't watched it yet. Uh, Yeah, exactly, at full length. Mm -hmm. Hopefully it will, but maybe we've hit a point where there needs to be another technological jump for that to happen again. Well, but with animation, you're seeing because that you can already. control the entire environment and everybody is in there knowing that it's all animation, Yeah, there's, you- no, there's no uncanny valley because you're not trying to pretend that you're looking at a live person even though your mind is telling you that's not a live person. And that's what animation is doing. Like if you notice, even Pixar is starting to like alter every movie and it's animation just a little bit like um, – Turning red does not look the same as Frozen. It mm-hmm. doesn't look the same as Luca. Like they're all kind of different animation styles. And even if you guys have gone to see the movie, the preview for the new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, that's a whole, whole new way of animation. That almost it. looks like clay animation. It looks but really not strange. clay, but yeah. But yeah, the, the, you can just do so much more with animation. And I think that's Spider Verse. They can do that. Like we said, like I think the spot would be really weird live action, and um, all like the little. Quarks like having the comic book. Well, they book, wouldn't be able to translate it exactly across. Oh yeah, that's It'd the have other to be thing. different. That's why all the characters look. You know, X Men made the joke when they were all in leather in the first one, and they're getting out of the plane, and um, Wolverine's like, "What's with all the leather?" And he's like, "What would you prefer, <laughs> yellow spandex, which was what oh, I love Wolverine that. wore in the comics, mm-hmm. yeah. but it wouldn't have looked right on screen." They've gotten better now with the way they do the suits. Think about the different way that Superman's suit fit Christopher Reeve versus how it fits Henry Cavill. Or Batman. Or Batman. Adam West Batman versus Christian Bell Batman. Yeah. Or even Adam West to Michael Keaton. I mean, oh, yeah. That was one where Michael Keaton had to turn his whole shoulders because the, the bat cowl didn't turn. <laughs> and that's why when you saw Christian Bale, they, the rest of the top part was disconnected from the bottom. There was that little gap on his mm-hmm. neck, which I always thought looked kind of weird, but for practical purposes made perfect sense. Yeah. So. But animation allows them to, to be faithful to the comic. To the point where even when Ben Riley, the Scarlet Spider, was on there, oh, yeah. he's got 90s comic book page animation style on him with the little dots that you could see. That's how they did a lot of coloring of comics before they moved to the the gloss pages was it was dot color yeah. printed. So that was a funny a little nod, a little bit in. 
Uh, that was the one who Andy Samberg voiced was oh, I know. the so Scarlet Spider. Ben- I look at this wall, and then looking at this other wall. Yeah. <laughs> like, Very oh, dramatic. I'm having, my memories are so painful. Oh, that was a particularly painful memory. And he was, a, for those of you who don't know, this was one of the stupidest stories they ever did in Spider-Man history. Mid-90s, uh, a new Peter Parker shows up, a new Spider-Man. Well, okay, it's somebody faking to be Spider-Man. Well... Except for he's like got Peter Parker's exact DNA. Well, is he from another time? Nope, not from another time. It turns out he's a clone of Spider-Man. And it harkens back to some story in the late 60s or early 70s where this crazy professor cloned Peter and Spider-Man fights himself. And when they defeat him, they dump his body into like a chimney to burn it up. Oh, my. Yeah. They dispose of things a little this different This is why we can't do a live action of that. Right. But then... This clone comes back, and then they can then they spend several issues and several months insinuating that maybe the Peter that has been the Peter since that issue that you've been through all the stuff that got married to MJ that did all these things, maybe he was the clone all along, and the original Peter was the one that they dumped into the haystack, the big smokestack. So then it was this whole trauma thing of who's the real Spider Man and who's the real. Uh, clone, and honestly, I left on my mission when the storyline was going, so I never bothered to collect the rest of it when I got back. I wouldn't. That's so, uh, that's too much. But it just, it was too much. It was it was an example of 90s excess. But anyway, th- <laughs> then there was two Spider-Man. There was the Scarlet Spider who wore the little blue hoodie over the red suit and had, like, wrist shooter web things, and then there was the classic Spider-Man, and I don't even remember how it all resolved. <laughs> but that's what made that one funny, was that was the clone with all his tortured memories. <laughs> Very drama. So Very your turn, Kellyanne. We were. Um, what do you? Why do you think these two Spider Verse movies have resonated with audiences? And why did you, even more so than Natalie, who's not a huge Spider fan, why did you connect to it? Oh, I think it is the animation style just pulled me straight in. And I, I'd never seen something like that before. And it was just so fun, um, you know, even with the first one, how comics it was based, how fun it was. You know, we all love um, Spider-Man, of course. That's why there's so many different versions of it. And just having a fresh take at a different Spider-Man besides Peter Parker was just absolutely amazing and fun. The music was wonderful. Like, they really took their time to to sit down and go, okay, we want a new Spider-Man story. We want one with Miles Morales because we love representation. We want that in, in our lives. What can we do to make a new Spider-Man for this upcoming generation? And I think they just captured it so completely, so wonderfully with the stylization. And it really is the animation. Like, I don't know if I would have seen it, um, the first one, as it was in the theaters, if I didn't see those trailers and go, oh, wow, I want to wrap my head around this style. And then it just came through so beautifully and wonderfully, and you just fall for miles, and you you feel for miles. Um, So I I think that's the thing is, you know, they have something really fun and interesting as a hook, and then they keep you there with the good story. And I'm so glad that I was kind of worried that they wouldn't live up to the legacy of the first one in this movie because it was so groundbreaking and Oscar-winning, and they just blew it out of the park. Like, I, I didn't think you could beat the first one. And they totally did in this one. And they did that by taking the things we love. And let's deepen it a little bit. Let's make some connections with other stories that we love. And ah, I'm so excited for the next one. Do you think it'll get nominated? I think it'll get nominated for an Oscar. Do you oh, think yeah. it'll win again? Ooh. I'm trying to think what else is going on this year. That would I mean, be you, you have Elemental. Up. You've okay. got... 
you'll probably have some artsy type animation come out at mm-hmm. some point this oh, year. Oh, you have Marcel the Shell. Marcel the Shell or the Pinocchio Wish gear. is coming out too this year. Yeah. Any other There's stuff we haven't big. seen a lot of but animation. Like the gar- yeah. but Ninja Turtles. Across the Spider-Verse. <laughs> Ninja Turtles does look amazing, like the stylization of that. But I don't think it can hold a candle to this as, as of right now. I think it might be nominated again because they also did some really different stuff. Like, Do they nominate five or they can nominate five up to ten? Oh, I don't remember. I don't depends remember on you're, depends you're the on... critic here. Yeah, I know. I should know this, right? Um, uh, Like, the idea of bringing a Da Vinci parchment villain universe in. Freaking amazing. Like, I, I love the stylization of it. And, yes, maybe it, maybe it will get an Oscar. We'll maybe predict that now. At least get amazing. a nom. I don't know if it'll. Yeah. I, I, again, I want to see Elemental before I make that decision because mm-hmm. Elemental looks like it's going to be pretty have to use a lot of new animation that Pixar hasn't used before. Okay. For me, I already mentioned it before the break, but the respect for the characters, but also managing to be able to poke fun at things that are funny, uh, but not have you feel like uh, that they're trying too hard or like they're winking at the audience too much. One of the things that bugged me about Fast 9 was I felt like there was too many moments where It's okay to acknowledge that what you're doing is absurd. I mean, that's part of the fun of watching the Fast and the Furious movies. But I felt like in 9, at least, they went too far in the meta jokes between each other or talking to each other like, this is so ridiculous. I don't even know how anybody believes this. Like, And I thought, come on. Like, we all think that, but you don't have to say it in the movie. And so this didn't go that way. It just poked some fun and it had, you know— I, I we all thought, what's he doing taking a baby on the adventure? Well, they at least let MJ voice that in uh, in the movie, yeah. and then he never really goes too far. And she's obviously got a little bit of spider powers, and there's some fun with that. But um, and Mayday is known is it, she's in the comics she yeah too, she grows she? up later yeah. to be the cutest. Yeah, she was a cute little baby in that. Uh, but it also allows it to kind of keep it from being too serious. So it never got too serious, and it never got too silly. And when you try to walk that line, very often you either veer too hard into one or the other, or you veer too wildly between them. Mm. They tried to do that with the new Schwarzenegger series on Netflix called FUBAR, which is kind of like True Lies, the sequel. But it was like goofy, silly. And then it was like dead serious, people getting like killed in terrible ways. And and then it would swing wildly back to some joke, like all in the middle of a mission. And I thought, I'm getting whiplash from this. And that, that was, I think that's one thing DC has struggled with their other movies that they try to be quirky and funny, like Marvel movies. But because they're already so dark, when the humor comes in, you're like, that just does not. Well, you do need humor right. in darkness to kind of release the well, tension. You, they had to do that in Guardians Three. There's too much, right? Yeah. But 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 you can do it wrong. But but Spider Verse did it right. So for me, yeah. that was that was one of the things reasons I think it resonated with audiences. I think uh, certainly. I mean, this has a lot more black culture in it than a typical Spider-Man thing. So yeah. the, the hip-hop element, you know, the, oh, the sneaker, it. like the Jordans. Like there's a there's apparently a release of Jordans <laughs> that are specific to Into the Spider-Verse. And so, I want those. Right, right. And that's fine. Like I'm just saying, like, but that, that helps broaden an appeal. Uh, but you've still got all the different Spider-Men from all the others. So it, they were fortunate with the Spider-Verse to be able to have a Spider-Man for everyone. Even Spider-Gwen. I love having right. Spider-Gwen. You have and a, having a, a girl, girl in there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But without, because the story allowed for it without it feeling like, okay, now we have to have a woman Spider-Man. Yes, Do you know yes. what I'm saying? Uh-huh. Like when it, when, it, yeah. when it feels natural to the story, that's when I feel like everybody embraces it. And, mm-hmm. and that's what I like about it is uh, Miles Morales is a great character. He came from the Ultimate Universe, supposedly, and I'd have to look up to verify this, 
the guy who created the character it was named Brian Michael Bendis, and he did some of the best comic writing in the 2000s and the early 2010s. Um, I think he's at DC now, but he was at Marvel, and he he created the Ultimate Universe as a part of a thing of like it, it was in 2000, and so Marvel Comics characters were about 40 years old, and he's like, I feel like we need to retell this story. So he creates an alternate universe called the Ultimate Universe where they retell all these they re- recreate the characters with elements kind of like what uh Star Wars has done with pulling mm-hmm. stuff from the books that were written back in the 90s that they've mm-hmm. called legends uh they pull in stuff that works but they tweak the story a little bit it's kind of like what the Marvel Cinematic Universe does with stories yeah, it doesn't Civil War canon, wasn't exactly, exactly how mm-hmm. the comic went yeah. but they took elements from it and made it work because they needed to you know they the MCU has like fan service the MCU does do fan service like we saw that in Endgame we saw it in No Way Home for sure. But they have to tweak it because of, you know, fans like me who've yeah, I grew up watching DC. I didn't grow up watching Marvel. I started watching Marvel when I saw Tobey Maguire and then uh, RDJ yeah. as uh, Iron Man. So I know everything about the MCU, but the comics are going to be different. So right. like when when people get mad about canon, I'm like, I don't know. It was still a very entertaining movie to someone yes. who doesn't understand the comics. Well, and-, and at first it was kind of a thing where. You didn't try because we didn't have a history of comic book movies. I know when Spider-Man originally came out in 2002, for me, as someone who's loved Spider-Man all my life since I read comics, um, I just felt like I needed – well, what you want is you want it to figure out and hit the story points so that whoever watches it has the same feeling about certain canon moments, we may may call them, that you did. I I remember watching – I feel like I'm jumping ahead to the discussion, but don't don't let me forget this. But I remember one of the things when I first watched Spider-Man 2002 was when Mary Jane gets dropped off the George Washington Bridge. Mm -hmm. That bothered me at first because that was a Gwen Stacy moment. And and I thought you're 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 twisting stuff here and you're taking by by doing that. There's a part of me that felt like it was taking away of the 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 power of the scene in the comics when it happened to Gwen Stacy because MJ survives. Peter marries MJ. If he saves her from this, you're not only robbing that key moment that was like so impactful, that canon moment. You're giving it to somebody else, and then you're you're taking away something from Spider Man, which was how that death affected him. So when when Gwen died, not on the George Washington Bridge, but in Amazing Spider Man Two, I thought. That was at least they at least got the the bones of it right, mm-hmm. you know. Even though it was a different setup, a different reason, it was a different Green Goblin, all those things, you know. Her falling and him not being able to save her was that they got at least the the emotion of that part right. Because that oh, was yeah. the thing I like. One of the things I liked best about the movie was how they got that. Plus, she was wearing the comic accurate outfit when she died. <laughs> But then that scene in No Way Home when he saves MJ is yes. just that much it better. It makes that part even better, correct. But again, um, so that's what we want to see. But now we're getting to the point, and I say thankfully, we're getting to a point where we've had so much different that I think in general there's there's less gatekeeping than there was. We talked about gatekeeping in one of our previous podcasts of, <sighs> of the people who've been the fans the longest. There's this feeling like, the new people come in, but they're not liking it for the same reason you did, and that that somehow makes it less than. And, and, and that's just something we have to – it is. It's yeah. something you have to get over, though. Mm-hmm. There's oh, yeah. a natural tendency towards gatekeeping, and you have to just consciously say, okay, look, it's okay. I still have the versions that I like. I can still share them with people if I want to. It won't have the same impact on them, 
and I have to feel this way about my kids too. Like let them be fans the way they're going to be fans, even though I want them to experience it the exact same way <laughs> oh, yeah. so that they, I feel like that would help them understand me better. But, um, but then you have fans like me who jumped into the MCU all of a sudden being like, I want to know like the canon, the backstories to all these characters. And so it's a lot of fun to like, you know, go online and uh, read. Like I just did a deep dive on the background of Jessica Drew and learning about Valerie, the librarian and learning about spider cat. Cause you and I had like texted about it. Like who the heck is spider cat? Um, but then, you know, there's, but new fans, it's great to have new fans because then you get to in, then you get to introduce them to like the broader universe that they have not been introduced to yet. But just yeah, understand that like my for me my canon is what's happening in the MCU because that's what I was first introduced to. But it's still fun to learn. You're not allowed to like it that way, Natalie. I'm I know, telling you right sorry. now. I'm getting out my gate right now so that I can keep it. See, see I, I want to fight you on that because you know. As a woman, for Wait, your- what do you want to fight me? I'm the one who said you should be able to release <laughs> and not gatekeep. Well, okay, I, I was just trying to be playful, though. Um, <laughs> oh, good. You know, and the things that brought me into the MCU and Spider Verse in particular was actually your passion for it. If we gatekeep things and not share our passion for it, then we are keeping other people from experiencing the same joy. Like I grew up loving DC Comics and it wasn't really until I got involved in Fan Effect I'm like, well maybe I should learn more about Marvel. And now I absolutely love it and I read the, some of the comics and I talk about the movies and it's it's absolutely wonderful. Um, and this will probably will come back when we talk about canon events, about my canon event in life. That was one of those big things is I can do things that make me happy, which is comics. I was afraid for years to talk about how much I love these things because I thought I was going to have the, the people calling me a fake nerd girl and things like that. So I'm all for whatever you can to invite people to experience a good story do it. Don't gatekeep. Bring them in. Teach me. Teach them about it. Show the passion. The, one of the first things I, I was with you was a Spider-Man. It was a video. Ryan was recording. I don't remember which one it was. And you were you had like a PowerPoint with all <laughs> the comics and everything in it. And I thought, okay, this is fun. Maybe this is a universe I can get involved in. So like, just let go of the gatekeeping. Let people have fun and enjoy and share it so yeah. that you can invite others. Well, and this is what happens. So they tell a story that, that can appeal to a lot of different people. Yeah. They've had two very successful movies. Oh, yeah. And I, it'll be interesting because we haven't seen The Flash yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Flash is going to do – The Flash <gasps> – you went and saw it yesterday? No, I was. I, I got offered a free screening from oh. Fandango to go see it. But nice. like, Andrew's like, we should go see it. I'm like, I don't, I'm not really into it. <laughs> <laughs> but and anyway, here I am, like, plotting it out. <laughs> the, the idea, though, on The Flash is that uh, it, it's going to bring a whole bunch of different elements together of different timelines, different universes. Um, we'll, we'll see how well that they do it. It's another multiverse. Another multiverse, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but Apparently, they're only doing one screening for that because of. No, they're doing like three. They added oh, okay. a couple. Okay, they added more, but yeah, because yeah. of how I can only go. Can be. I can only go on a specific date because I could go this week. But I, the elemental screening is the same night as one of the flash screenings. So, oh. at any rate, that doesn't apply to anybody <laughs> but the three of us. Thanks, Andy, for telling Andy, us your schedule. So yes. Um, well, the, the other question I wanted to ask before we go to break is: um, there are so many different variations of Spidey in these movies, and there's just so many. What does it mean to be Spider-Man? Like, what what are the elements that you have to have to be Spider-Man? Because you got a cat Spider-Man. You got so is it the costume? Is it the powers? What, what, tell me what it is the to bite. be a Spider-Man. The Spider-Verse insinuates that there's a million different ones. So what 
makes them Spider-Man? Is it they have to be bit by the radioactive spider? Is that the only thing? What, what, what do you think? I don't think so because the first time we actually see Spider-Woman is with uh, Valerie the Librarian, and she doesn't have superpowers. She just gets a hold of a suit and then like recreates the suit with suction cups so she can climb up walls and obviously has a use of webs from the suit. I've, that's from what I understood. Um, so I don't think you necessarily need to be bit to be Spider-Man. I mean, I think what makes Spider-Man Spider-Man is um, he's he's very relatable because he's a human being who's struggling with everyday life. Like, we don't have a superhero. Yeah, so who's Spider-Man to you? Like, to you? not necessarily, okay. like, if, if, if Lord and Miller are like, you know, Natalie, we, we got to make Spider-Man. What are the elements that you, for you, Spider-Man has to have? This is where we can have different opinions, and it's okay. Yeah, my favorite version of Spider-Man is yeah the Tobey Maguire version within uh, movies two and three. And um, for me, I my Spider-Man is someone who, yeah, again, is dealing with real life and trying to be a spider person. You don't get to see the other superheroes trying to figure out rent, having to go to college, having to survive in order to help everyone else survive. Um, but while still maintaining his personality, like he's still quirky and funny, he's quippy, and I, for me, that's that's my favorite Spider-Man is okay. someone I can relate to on that level. All right, how about you, Nat or uh, Kellyanne? I think for me, it goes back a lot to kind of that that teenage awkwardness where we all want to fit in, even if if we don't. Um, and so here is someone who is longing to belong, longing to help people, longing to to want to have a, a good life. And, you know, he's had some tragedies. He's living with his, his aunt and uncle. Um, and then through just an accident, he gains these superpowers. And, you know, we always daydream about what we want about life to make it better and how we want to help people. Imagine waking up the next day and being able to do that. I think that's a big part of Spider-Man, um, and, and particularly mine. And I agree, Tobey Maguire, his version of Spider-Man is probably my Spider-Man as well, not just because that's like the movie I, I fell in love with as a teenager, but because of that, I, I want to do good in the world. And he does it with a sense of humor. Um, it's, it's, yeah, you still have the tragedy of Uncle Ben. You have the tragedy of, of losing Gwen and, and different uh, characters throughout his life. But he keeps trying to do what's good even if he's a little awkward, <laughs> and he does it with a sense of humor. And I just, I absolutely love that. What about you, Andy? Well, mine, which is the right, no, I'm kidding. Um, the For me, I think, as I've read through the different Spider-Verses comics and, and seeing how different people gain different powers, um, you know, the ones that I like the least are the ones where it's not bitten by a radioactive spider, I guess, when they have versions that aren't like that way. Because I feel like that's kind of a key point. Like, anybody can be a good person who tries to help other people. But part of the reason that this is fun is that he's got superpowers, too. You know, he's not rich like Tony Stark. He's not uh, – he, he's he, depending he's on smart. when they write him, he's super smart or he's not as super <laughs> smart. He's super smart in the book stuff, but he struggles to, you know – make a living for himself. Uh, he tried to do the thing where he used the powers for his own selfish ends and it ended terribly. So he's got to have trauma. I mean, he has to, because that's part of what drives him. Um, he, things should mostly go wrong, but some things have to go right occasionally or just, it would be too depressing. <laughs> some things have to go right. That's part of the reason when they 
decided the Marvel's editor in chief decided that Spider Man's more fun to tell stories for when he's not married. So they figured out a way to get rid of his marriage so they could start oh. telling all the stories. It it didn't go over well with the fans because for a lot of fans like me, that's a that's a canon event, uh, for for lack of a better term. But uh for me it's he can't always he has to he win. He defeats all the bad guys, but he loses almost everything else. Like he always loses everywhere else, or lose something. Right. There has to be that balance. That's why he's so enjoyable. Um, you know, he's a boy, so I like that. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. I mean, I never, I didn't really think about it that way, but I, I'm sure that had something but to do with it. But there's just always a way for us to see us in Peter. But yeah, I mean, yeah. I want to be yeah. good, and so when I see Peter do good, I think that's cool. Even when things don't go well for him, even when, uh, you know. Even when the people I love are the ones who most at danger, <laughs> they're the ones I can't tell. Like I love, I just kind of love the pathos and the drama of that. So yeah. for me, he's got to be bitten by a spider. Uh, I'm okay with like Spider Gwen works too, because they, they but they play on the the basic element mm-hmm. of oh, of yeah. what went on, and you know she has a traumatic loss and all of that. Those all work together. Um, you know, you, earlier you said, you know, all these superheroes, they got to like lose their parents, but that's, it's part of the hero's journey mm-hmm. that we, that we like. It's part of, uh, my brother used to write plays. He still does some. And, and he was talking with me about one of the first ones he was writing and, uh, it's comedic. So I was looking for what, like, what would be the funny angles, but, uh, the feedback he was getting and the way he was trying to write, it was like, well, no, I mean, we have to have the story first and why, what, what's the thing that the character overcomes? Like you can write a thing that's funny and that's a story, but if it doesn't have your main character overcoming something, it, it, it just kind of feels like, you know, eating the frosting off a donut or something like that. Yeah. So, uh, but doing ha- it without that, superpowers, doing it, like doing it without superpowers, like it's an emotional thing for Peter. That he has to overcome. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he just happens to have... He was a good person before he got the superpowers. Yeah, but he didn't need to use the superpowers to overcome, like, these tragedies. Right. In yeah. fact, the you know, they're, they're trying to do this on Superman and Lois right now in the TV show. Um, what does Superman do when Lois gets cancer? Like, that's something he has... There's nothing all of his powers can do. They kind of hinted at that with uh, in the first Superman movie when she dies in the earthquake. He's like, oh, my powers, and I couldn't even save her. So now they're... But this is truly a thing. Like, what does he do when he knows it's coming? And yeah, he flies around the world backwards so to the moment she gets cancer. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's pretty funny. <laughs> How many of those x-rays cause the cancer? <laughs> that, those are questions that they don't ask in the Clark Kent household. Oh, my gosh. Uh, so uh, for me, it's there, there has to be the pathos. There has to be the loss. And, and he has to be good. That's part of the reason I never was really interested in the superior Spider-Man was you know the idea that Doc Ock is fighting against his inherent goodness is cool, but it's a premise that for me runs pretty thin unless Doc Ock changes because how good Peter is, and I don't know if he did, so I, I'd have to go back and read the comics. But that's how I see it. So for me, um, he needs to have the canon. Events. He's got to have canon events. And speaking of canon events, <laughs> since we brought that up, uh, we are going to talk about canon events when we get back from the break. What are they? What did they roll? Did they mean in Spider in uh, across the Spider Verse? And what would you say are the canon events in your own life? Fan effect. Final segment. 
for Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. This is the one that I, this part I've been most looking forward to. I'm glad you've stuck around this long through our podcast. I think it's well worth it, this final segment, what we're going to talk about. Or just and tell them to wake up real quick. <laughs> yeah, if you fell asleep because you were, you know, just dozing or, you know, whatever. If you're running, now it's time to listen up again and get your, uh, get your brain back stop, in gear. Stop working. Stop typing that, <laughs> that article you need to write and listen to us now. So for me, I loved the concept of there being canon events. We talked mm-hmm. earlier in the plot. One of the canon event was incoming was that um, the India Spider-Man was going to have um, Captain, Captain Singh die. Mm-hmm. Trying to save uh, it was similar to... It was similar to um, what happened with uh, Gwen Stacy's father in the original Spider-Man canon. Uh, He actually pushes a kid out of the way when Dr. Octopus smashes like a chimney and that the bricks fall on him and kill him. Yeah. In fact, I think they did that in Amazing Spider-Man 2 or 1? Yeah, I think Gwen's dad. It was one of those two. Yeah, Gwen's Gwen's dad dad in the first movie, yeah. Yeah, it was the first movie. That's right. That's right. Um, so they, they, they've hit this in different places. In fact, I think they showed that. That was the canon event. One of them was looking at Uncle Ben from Spider-Man, mm-hmm. and yep. the other was looking at Captain Stacy from Amazing Spider-Man. Yep. Um, those are canon events, things that happen in your life that have a large impact on the person you become. So for Spider-Man, as far as I'm concerned over his history, the canon events for Spider-Man, getting bit by the radioactive spider, yep. obviously, Uncle Ben being yep. shot, but not just Uncle Ben dying. It had to be because it was the 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 burglar that he let get away when he was frustrated. Um, he had a chance to stop the burglar who was getting away from robbing the wrestling promoter guy. Yeah. And he didn't do it. And so Uncle Ben dies. So that would have been a canon event to a certain extent no matter what. Mm-hmm. But having it be the same burglar who he failed to stop made a disproportionate impact. It, it kind of solidified him in, in that. Um, well, Gwen Stacy a- dying. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't often do that. Now, I understand that the idea of a girl dying to help motivate the hero is is a concept that's typically overdone. <laughs> um, it, it's an easy fix for some things. And I know that in in today's Woman society, in the the, the, yeah, that's exactly mm-hmm. the thing, the fridge, fridging the girlfriend, uh, which came from a Green Lantern comic, the specific term, because the girl ended up dead and put in the fridge. Yep. Oh, dear. Um, and so the concept of fridging a character. Uh, but for me, one of the reasons that, uh, that it's been such a, a canon event is that uh, even though in little spurts here and there they we bring back somebody who looks like a clone of Gwen or who is a clone of Gwen or somebody who somebody's surgically altered to look like Gwen like they they bring her back but she stays dead Ben Uncle Ben has stayed dead in comics so few people stay dead yeah but there's been a few that have mostly stayed dead now the fact that Gwen has Spider-Man powers and now has her own series it's fine it's not in the same Spider-Man timeline. It's not like she's come back to life in Peter Parker on Earth 616. So you got to have those events, but they're, they have more impact when they don't get reversed later on. So that's why I thought Peter's marriage to MJ. I mean, it was years in the building. It was a huge thing. They've stayed married for years and years until Joe Quesada decided that they shouldn't be. Um, I, I don't like that they undid it personally. It does allow Peter to have more girlfriends. A little, a little different storytelling possibilities. Yeah, and, and I understand that part, too. I mean, one guy thinks that Peter should forever be just graduated from high school. 
it's hard to tell a story over 50 years where you're just barely out of no high progress. school the whole yeah. time. <laughs> right. You got to go to some college. I mean, the, but that's the thing is by having those life markers, then it ages the character. And it does. Mm-hmm. But I, I mean, we all age. It's okay. And now that you got the multiverse, tell all the stories you want wherever you want. But um, for me, those those are the canon events for Spider-Man. Um, well, and it doesn't Aunt have May, to- she's kind of like the rock for him, but there's not one event. She's died like two or three times over history, <laughs> but always manages to come back somehow. Um, you know, there's all of the what ifs, but to me, those are the, the main things. There's the deaths of Ben and Gwen Stacy, the bite by the spider, and the fact that it was the burglar. It was his own hubris that ended up causing that. Yeah. Um, well, and they show in, in this one as well, it's not necessarily the death of Uncle Ben as well. Like like for Gwen, it was Peter Parker passing away. Right. For Miles, it was Aaron, a father figure, right. his uncle, um, which I also think is super interesting because we have different connections throughout our life. So it's a canon event, but it doesn't have to be completely scripted as, yes, it's Uncle Ben. Um, but like no, but most, but most those time, events yeah. happening are part of what makes yes. us interested in these characters as stories. Mm-hmm. You know, Superman, his whole planet's destroyed. He's the last. You know, Batman's parents died. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, these canon events for for Batman usually is death too, and and I'll be interested to see what your canon events are because for me, at least a couple of them also involve death. It's just something about that 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 and when it hits in your life, then the impact that it makes. Um, I never got bit by a radioactive spider. Darn it! <laughs> Hopefully, um, no, that's good. I'm too old now to start that. But um, so the canon events that I loved that they explored that there are these canon events. I mean, it's something we talk about when we talk about, especially when it comes to fandom things like the canon, whether it's a video game story or oh. Wait a minute. Where does this take place? For Star Wars, it's a big thing. Where does this take place in the canon? Or, you know, all the stories that were written in the books, we talked about it a minute ago with the Legends timeline. Now they're not canon anymore. So this idea of canon, it's become a big deal to all of us as we've stayed in pop culture and and stayed with characters. You know, they're going to redo... Uh, Harry Potter for HBO Max or for Max, Ooh. a series mm-hmm. though. It's going to be a series so they can adapt the books in full. Yeah. So then, you know, which which of the Harry Potters is canon? If they tell stories in the, the future, book which. Books. <laughs> okay, but there you go. The Harry Potter books yeah. are canon for what you're saying, but what about the movie? You know, so. The movies but, allowed a different audience to experience them and for existing audiences to experience it in a different way. It's all about spreading the message but to But canon. More so the idea of canon events, you know, that was one of the things that uh, I appreciated more on the second watch of some of the Harry Potter movies. I'd watch the movie, then I'd read the book, then I'd rewatch the movie. Wow. And when I saw the Goblet of Fire for – not Goblet of Fire, um, the next one after that, Order of the Phoenix. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I saw Harry's the movie Black. first, then I read the book. And then – uh, Yeah, when Sirius <laughs> dies, right. Um, I – I just wasn't like when I saw the movie, I was like, that was a lot, but not a lot happened. Then I read the book and I was like, oh, not a lot happened. That's a very heavy book. (laughs) It is. And it's like 800, 900 pages. I think it's the longest one of the whole series and the absolute least amount of things happen in it. Angsty Harry. (laughs) Right. It's fine. It's part of the whole story and it's a middle chapter. But uh, then when I rewatched the movie, suddenly I was like impressed because of how much was in that book. What they chose to tell to try to tell the same story in the two hour window 
So for movie, as far as it went, what did they make canon from the books versus what did they leave out? And so then that became something that was interesting to me to see, you know, what do you consider the the most important parts of this story and how do you tell it? You know, the, the fight between Voldemort and Dumbledore should have been like this massive, in my opinion, fight. And it kind of was in the movie. In the book, it was like half a page. And I, was, I kept waiting. In fact, I was reading the book after I'd seen the movie. I was like, okay, I can't wait to read like all the psychological stuff that's going on between the two yeah. that they couldn't put in a movie because they were just waving wands at each other. And then I'm like, okay, we're getting further. The pages are running out. We're like <laughs> to the third to last page. Where is this fight going to happen? And then it was like over. So the idea of canon is is really interesting in that they that they put that into, they verbalized it in the movie. Yeah. And then- made it a thing to where when they messed with the canon event, it started to alter reality. Mm-hmm. I thought this was a fascinating thing that they did that they could only do in a movie like this. Again, Fast and Furious, not the way to do it when you're going to talk about stuff like that. This is the way you do it. So I'm curious, what are the things that have happened in your life that have made an impact on the person you have become? Uh, we'll start with you this time, Kellyanne. Oh, with me. I was expecting you guys to go first because um, you guys have had lots of life events I have yet to have in my life. I'm, I'm not married. I don't have kids. Yes, but I Those didn't are the ask standard. what my canon events well, were for your life. <laughs> I'm asking what your canon events I, are because everyone leads a different life. That's why this is yeah, interesting. I, I think for me because, you know, you, you live your life anticipating those those different canon events as life events, I should say, actually. Um, in my late 20s, I was really struggling because things weren't happening in my life and I, I wasn't um, living the creative life I wanted to live. And then, I, you know, I've talked about this before on the podcast and I had a Fanex panel on this. I read a book on cleaning. <laughs> I read Kumari's book, The, the Joy of Cleaning. Okay. Um, and she told me I can surround myself by things that bring me joy. And I don't know why this concept had never been like hammered in my life before i was i was just living how you're supposed to live go to serve a mission go to college you know I was, I was doing fun stuff as well but there was a lot of stuff i had kept hidden for years like my love of comics of batman my fandoms things that i always thought people would kind of make fun of me for or uh, you know i was told to i was bullied a lot as a kid so i was told to shut up a lot um and i realized oh I can surround myself by the things that brought me, bring me joy. Um, so that's actually when I ended up having to drop a whole group of friends because they did not bring me joy. They were not building me up. Okay. That's when I chose what to do with my life. I started talking about comics. I started really being involved in fanex and cosplay and finding people and stories that I just loved. Um, that's when I, I took a risk and I reached out to executives at Warner's and I was able to go down there and talk with them and meet them and get the private tours. That's when I reached out to Amanda Dixon at KSL, who was one of my instructors and said, this is kind of what I want in life. Is there anything at KSL? Um, and here I am. And I'm, I am someone who has kind of been bullied and broken and hasn't had a lot of these things in life that I've wanted, um, but I still surround myself by things that bring me joy. And so reading this silly book on cleaning, and I never fully finished the Kunmari system of cleaning. <laughs> I always got to the miscellaneous. Just if you did get to the end, your oh life my, would be perfect. It would be wonderful. Right? <laughs> now, it's, it's the papers. I can never do miscellaneous. Um, <laughs> and I have way too many socks. Um, 
but it's this this just someone teaching me I can surround myself by things that bring me joy. I really think that was a moment in my life where a lot of things clicked. And um, and I hope if there's any other multiverse versions of myself, I mean, hopefully they got that realization a little earlier than I did. But yeah, you can surround yourself by, by things that bring you joy. And you can still feel sorrow. You can still be sad about things that haven't happened or uh, that you want to have happened in your life. You can look forward to that. But I can still sit at my desk surrounded by pictures of art and Disney. And I could talk Spider-Man with you. And I can find joy in my life no matter where I'm at. So that reading... A silly book on cleaning <laughs> is right. what changed my life. So that's one of Kellyanne's canon moments, mm-hmm. reading the book on cleaning. All right, Natalie. Are you going to say the crash? No, not going to say I the crash. I wondered if you were going to, honestly. I mean, that's, that, that's still in canon at the moment. Oh, I'm that's still, still in the process. I'm okay. still recovering from it. And I mean, yeah, like, I'm trying to think of canon events in my You've life. You've had days to think about this. I know I have, and um, I'm trying to think of, like, I mean... I remember you telling me that one day you were sitting at the assignment desk and you wore your Captain America earrings or something. You weren't sure how everybody was going to receive that or something. And I said, like, oh, I love that. That's awesome. And then you were like, oh, I can be a nerd here at work. That's cool. I remember you telling me about that once. Am I wrong? Well, I was going to – one of the things I've done was getting the KSL internship out of – while I was in school because I did that all on my own. I I was a communications major with a track in journalism. I knew I wanted to go into TV news, and so KSL was just a natural fit. It's the uh, number one station in the state, and um, I mean the internship for my hours. And they even held the internship for the next semester because I couldn't make the hours with the semester I applied it for. And so it, that internship honestly led to a lot of growth. So um, got to help producers you know make friends within the media and which eventually led to a part-time job which eventually led to me getting onto the assignment desk at ksl and if you don't know the assignment desk is it's a very hard job it's a very hard job right and you're just kind of used to that and so but working at ksl i worked here for five five ish years total between the internship the part-time job and the assignment desk um just opened a lot of doors for me I should say and it also made me a stronger person because at the assignment desk you have to take charge there's all these people who are your seniors that you're working with I mean having to tell uh, producers who are in charge of shows a news director you know directors over at KSL radio and KSL.com you have to like be brave and like command the room when there's breaking news happening and that can be very daunting and so working at the assignment desk really I think was a job that helped me grow by far the most. Okay. But then it also, again, led to a lot of great opportunities. Like you said, like it's led to being on this podcast and being able to talk about nerdy things. I've never been afraid to be a nerd. But as as I've become an adult, it's a little different because being a nerd is a little bit <laughs> yeah, childish, right? Yeah, a little bit. And but, but now it, being being a nerd has kind of become like my personality in a way, like having my social media channels. And um, now people like actually respect me for being able to like handle all this and knowing all this random stuff. And people are like, it's amazing that you get to be on a KSL podcast. And it's like, it's, I mean, I got lucky that we chatted that one time and 
and would talk about. I remember Endgame was like the thing we talk about the most. And I don't know if you knew that, but my wristband was flashing Canon event incoming when I walked over to talk to you. I didn't know if you knew that. I didn't know that. Yeah, That's I amazing. wasn't allowed to reveal that at, uh, because you know you don't want to mess with the space time continuum. But but then it led to like me meeting Jeremy Karchner, who does a lot of the PR for he does the PR for Fanex, and that's allowed me to be a panel moderator and again share my passions through through there but then honestly like ksl's led me to a great job that i love right now having and also is just helped me build a lot of skill again in leadership being braver and being being able to meet you and now not being afraid to be a nerd as an adult i'm glad i could make people not feel afraid to be <laughs> well for me and i'll try to be quick um you know for me the person that I am today, I think, comes from, uh, I can think of a couple things. As far as the nerd side of me, one of those moments was I had a, a, a neighbor who was growing up. I knew him through church, and he was like one of my teachers once, but uh, he was a super fan of Star Wars and Star Trek, and I liked them. But he was the first person that was like, I, it was almost like, Seeing a grown-up who could still be a fan of this stuff, I kind of just assumed I would probably have to grow out of it at some point. And he was a grown-up with kids, and he loved it, but he didn't just like – he loved it, but he's like, I love it because of this. And he was just so excited about stuff. And, and that's, these weren't the only things he was excited about, and they weren't the only things that, uh, you know, uh, that he set a good example for me. But I remember specifically, if it had just been up to my parents, I probably would have given up <laughs> on any of the <laughs> fandom things. But then he was so excited about it that I was like, wait, you can be a grown-up, and you can, like, still like this stuff? And, you know, he was trying to find the good in it, how it related to him, you know, personally, and how it made him be a better person. And I liked all of that stuff. Um, so that was a canon event as far as, you know, the the fandom. Another one would be a, a day that I knocked on my, my friend's door. He, he lived in a different neighborhood, so I had to cross the street to get there. And I only kind of knew him through Cub Scouts. But there was a day where I didn't have any of the other regular friends that lived closer. And I was just, I was over there. And I was like, well, what the heck? Knocked on the door. Turned out he and I both were huge fans of all these different things. Um, he was an only child, so he had like every toy I'd ever seen imaginable. And it was amazing. And I walked in and I saw like every He-Man toy I'd ever seen. He's been on the podcast before, Chris Hoffman. He was the one who was at our FanX panel. Fan panel. Yeah. Awesome. So he and I reinforced each other's fandoms all during our teenage years. So that, that that's a canon event. But like kind of for who the person I am today, because it's not just for Peter like getting the powers, but it's also shaping his personality and the type and the way he uses the talents that he has. Um you know, for me, one of them was, unfortunately, my mom dying when I was 18. You know, she died of cancer, and that had a huge, I mean, disproportionate, sure, but it had a huge impact because it made me have to consider a lot of things about life at an earlier age than I might have otherwise and make decisions, even if I didn't maybe realize at the moment that I was making those decisions, um, the, the the far-reaching impact that they were going to have. So that death typically is one of those mm -hmm. canon event moments. Um, but that one just happened to happen earlier in my life than it does for a lot of people. Uh, you know, I could point to like when I met my wife, obviously, is a canon event. Yeah. But my kids being born could be canon events if you want to look at it. But, but a lot of like your personality, like. But a lot of that was set by the time my kids were yeah. born. But like if I hadn't like been. Who I like, wanted to be. Yeah, because I mean, I think you also like getting married your personality builds to be the person that your spouse wants to marry 
Right. So I feel, and I she feel didn't like, mind the nerdiness, by the way. We had Star Wars toys on the table centerpieces <laughs> at our rehearsal dinner. So she knew what she was getting into. Let me just say that. Did she? No. She did. <laughs> we have we have Lego, the the master Lego, like London skyline, New York skyline in our living room as decor. So That's awesome. You're not alone. You be who you are, right? So exactly. those are canon events. I'm curious what our listeners' canon events are, and I'd love it if those of you who've listened to this podcast would go to our Facebook page at the Fan Effect uh, Show, F-A-N-E-F-F-E-C-T Show. Uh, and then post. What are canon events in your life? This is something that fascinates me. Reply to us on Twitter. Um, I'm curious what people's canon events are, whether it be why you're a fan of the fandom that you like. Mm-hmm. I, I'm actually really interested to hear what was the canon event that made you a fan of of a particular fandom? fandom. Why do Harry Potter? What was the thing about Harry Potter that made you the Harry Potter fan? What was the thing about DC or Marvel? Or you know, I bet a lot of people I will can have similar all things. I, those as you're talking. I would love a little mini series to do that with us. So <laughs> just so you know. <laughs> And everybody likes to talk about themselves, so here's your chance to do it on our well, Facebook. And but like when you share that, like I said before, your passion Spider-Man brought me into the world. Well, and for me, it was wa- Spider-Man was watching Spider-Man and his amazing friends. Loved that cartoon. That's why I was so traumatized when they killed them all in the stupid comic book. I realized whatever, but it's still. I'm 47, and I was still traumatized when I read that just a few days ago. But. Oh. Um, but, I mean, there are those things, and, and everybody has them. Everybody that would be listening to this has those fandom moments. So so go on uh, to our socials and, and tell us what your, what your canon moments are. All right. Well, I think, uh, I think we've exhausted Spider-Man into the, across the Spider-Verse. We were looking forward to Beyond the Spider-Verse next year. Yes. Uh, or the year after, or however long it takes don't for them the to year make after. it. But it. However long <laughs> it takes them to make it as good as these first two are. You don't want to hit... To, uh, it took them 10 years the to make and then the on the third two. one with. It took them 15 years to make 15, Incredibles yeah, 2. yeah, but they wanted to make it good. But they so made good. it good. They did. And now Marvel has to figure out how to make a Fantastic Four movie that's better than The Incredibles. Good luck. Let's uh, not talk about Marvel right now. <laughs> so much. Yeah, no, that could keep our podcast going for quite a bit of time. All right, well, let's wrap it up here. Thank you to Natalie Molinay from uh, Nat's Nerd Knowledge. Uh, looking forward to uh, seeing what other stuff coming up. I'm sure you'll do some stuff about The Flash and some of the DC characters. I'll be doing a lot um, for the different Spider-Man that you meet in Across the Spider-Verse. Oh, yes, a lot more Spider-Man content. If you go to Nat's page, tell us how they can they can check out your stuff. Yeah, check me out. I'm on TikTok and Instagram uh, at nats.nerd.knowledge. And I'm also on YouTube, and you can find me on Facebook as well. Yeah, I'll be talking about the different Spider-Man. You also find a lot of fun Marvel memes and... Yeah, I just love to break down. Do you make what, your own or do you find I do them? make my own. Ooh. So you need to jump on there and you'll, if you're a novice fan, if you're just jumping into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I break down why, again, again, the Secret War is coming up. I break that down for you and all the characters that will be in that show too. Assuming Kang is still part of it after Jonathan Majors' issues. Oh, man. All right. And Kellyanne Halverson, my co-host and Hi. producer, thanks for being here again. I'm Andy Farnsworth, and we're glad to have you on this episode of Fan Effect. Uh, thanks for listening. It's a KSL News Radio podcast, and it's sponsored by Larry H. Miller Megaplex Theaters. Beyond sci-fi, fantasy, gaming, and tech, we always want to share our knowledge and arguments on everything pop culture and fandom. Fan Effect celebrates Utah's unique fan culture, and we're excited to bring you local guests that feel the same way. Listen regularly on your favorite platform at kslnewsradio.com or on the KSL News Radio app. If you have a fun idea or local fan culture topic, 
Message our Facebook page at Fan Effect Show or on Instagram or Twitter at the same thing. Thanks again for listening. Hope to have you back real soon for another episode of Fan Effect. 